so, so remember the scene. There's an earthquake. Rocks are split open. Curtain in the temple's been ripped from top to bottom. Darkness has covered the face of the earth. There's been this religious murder done by religious people. Think it's okay to murder an innocent man. Okay to murder, but let's keep the tradition. You've got Roman soldiers who are freaked out by this crucifixion event. Right then, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus choose sides. today and and look at a couple of people who actually don't generally get too much airtime uh, in the Bible and in preaches or anywhere else generally. The, the story is in, in John chapter 19 and it's around verse 38. So I want to read this to you, just a couple of verses. And this is what it says. After these events, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, asked Pilate for permission to take the body of Jesus down from the cross. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, and he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made with myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Now, I just, just want you to remember the scene here a minute. You see, th this happened at Easter time. Now, it's been a few weeks since we stuffed ourselves with chocolate eggs and we ran around with Easter bonnets on and people did Easter egg hunts in their backyards and we had daffodils and all of those types of things. Um, but, but you see, the events of this don't just uh, apply to... Holy Week and the, the few days after. The, the events that I'm describing here have massive, lifelong and eternal, actually, eternal uh, ramifications. Big word, ramifications, right? So these guys, after the crucifixion, so, so remember the scene. There's an earthquake. Rocks are split open and torn to pieces. Uh, the, the, the curtain in the temple's been ripped from top to bottom. Darkness has covered the face of the earth. There's been this religious murder done by religious people who somehow think it's okay to murder an innocent man, but also want to appear to keep the Jewish customs of the Sabbath. You see, religion just never makes any sense. It just doesn't. Okay to murder, but let's keep the traditions. It just doesn't make any sense. So in the middle of all that chaos and the scene that's surrounding it, you've got, you've got Roman soldiers who, who are hardened warriors, who are freaked out by this event, this crucifixion event, and all that's going on around it. And in the middle of all of that, right then, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus choose sides. Now think this through with me. 
because Joseph and Nicodemus go and ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, you remember the story of the crucifixion. Jesus stands and has this conversation with Pilate in front of the accusers who are trying to crucify him. And he, he won't answer the questions. And, and he's, he's saying that he's a king, but his kingdom's not of this world. And, and he talks about truth. And, and Pilate says, what's truth? And, and all of this stuff is going on. And, and Pilate is more and more convinced that Jesus is innocent because he's, a, because he's a weak man. He follows the crowd. But in the middle of that conversation in John 19 and verse 10, Pilate says these words, he says, don't you realize I have the power and authority to sentence you to death or let you go free? He's the Roman executioner, this guy. He's the guy who can sign the paper that makes you die. And this is the guy that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go to and they ask for Jesus' body. They've just watched the result of Pilate's work. They saw the crucifixion. They saw these, these events unfold in front of them. They, they saw the darkness. They saw the earthquake. They saw all the disciples running away. They, they saw everything, all the dreams and hopes and visions of people of, of what the Messiah was going to do, die on the cross with Jesus. And they go at that point and they say, hey, we're with him. To the Roman executioner. The courage that that must have took is incredible. And these guys go and do that. Right then, now, now they, they don't identify with Jesus like the rest of the disciples do after the resurrection. They identify with Jesus in the kingdom's darkest hour. This is incredible character. We don't talk about this very much in the 21st century, this type of character. We talk about following Jesus when things are going well. We talk about your best life life now. We talk about follow God and, and, and do all this and he'll promote you and he'll... And, and we don't talk about the suffering of Jesus and identifying ourselves with the suffering of Jesus. And that's what these guys did. In the kingdom's darkest hour, they chose sides. And they chose to be identified with Jesus. It's like, it's like they're going to Pilate and they're saying, we're with him. I know that you, Pilate, live in a palace. And I know that the chief priests, the guys that murdered Jesus, they, they live in, in really nice houses with courtyards. And we know that because of the description of, of the events around the death and the trial of Jesus. We know where they lived. They had, they had houses with courtyards. They had, then the historical records show the, the palaces that, that Pilate and all those people lived in in occupied Palestine. And they don't choose to go that way. They choose to be identified with somebody who doesn't even have his own tomb. That's what they do. These guys, these, these guys, 
here that, that, that took Jesus down from the cross. They don't identify with the, with the wealth and the palace and the power brokers. They identify with this, this corpse. It's like they're saying, this, this death affects us. This, this man's sacrifice has an effect on us. We own this death. We make this personally about us. Now, think about that for a moment. Because that's where our Christian journey often starts. Is we look at the death of Jesus and we say, I have a part in that. He died for me. And these guys went to Pilate and said, identify us with this corpse. Identify us with this man that died. Identify us. And they will be forever linked through artwork um, and statues with the death of Jesus. You, you don't see pictures of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus at the empty tomb. They're identified with his death and his suffering. An incredible, an incredible display of character. Now, when they're doing this and they're, and they're owning the fact, fact that, that Jesus died for them, they will forever be identified with him in the same way that, that who we hang out with and who we, who we uh, brush shoulders with and, and who we're seen around with, um, we become identified with. You may have heard the expression, a guilty by association. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, someone's getting arrested, hey, who knows? You may up in a paddy whacking too and you might be taken off uh, and then explain your innocence or guilt later. It, you're guilty by association and these guys, are prepared to be guilty by association because whoever you hang out with and you're identified with rubs off on you. It's funny, um, sometimes my wife will talk to her, her mom and her sisters on the phone. And when she get, gets off the phone, you can tell. You can tell who she's been talking to because suddenly her Liverpudlian accent, her Scouse accent, is a little bit stronger. And it's almost like while well, she's, while well, she's been on the phone, her, her accent's been polished up. And so, and it's great. And I love it because she always used to speak like that when I, when I first met her. And, and she does still now. But when she gets off the phone, it's even more uh, accented. It's, it's right there. And my kids laugh at me because depending on who I'm talking to on the phone from England, my accent will change. Why? Because, because who we talk to and who we identify with affects the people who we are. You, you can tell people who spend time at a gym. It affects who they are. You can tell if they're spending more time at the cupcake shop or the gym because the effects are apparent. And it's exactly the same in our spiritual life. Who we associate with spiritually rubs off on us. There's this wonderful story in Acts chapter 3, um, where John and Peter are, are going to the temple to pray. It's a great story. And as they go there, they walk past a man who's begging. He's been uh, a beggar and he's been crippled from birth. 
Uh, it's a long, long time. Some historians will say it's up to like 40 years. Uh, and he's, he's, he's a mature man and, and he's, he's there and he's begging and they stop and the guy expects him to give him money. But instead they pray for him and they pray for him to be healed in the name of Jesus. Now, why would they do that? Well, because one of the things the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus does for us is, is it brings us healing as well. It's, it's part of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't know why it doesn't always work. Um, I wish I did. I wish I did. I wish every single person I prayed for got healed. I don't know why. I don't have all the answers, but I know that the Bible tells us to pray for the sick. And, and these two guys go into the, Peter and John, uh, go into the temple to pray, um, stopped and they prayed for this beggar in the name of Jesus. And he becomes healed, gets up, walks away. Everybody is amazed. And you'd think that everybody would be happy, but they weren't because the religious people that had organized Jesus' death heard that Peter and John had prayed for this man in the name of Jesus. And they were not happy. And so they dragged them in to the council and they started to debate with them and argue with them and accuse them of doing something wrong for praying in the name of Jesus. And, and in Acts uh, chapter 4, this is what it says, that the members of the council were amazed, in verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Now listen to this. They also recognized that they had spent time with Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that great? They recognized that they spent time with Jesus. <laughs> Not just because of their accents. Because when you spend time with Jesus, it changes who you are. In your essence, it changes who you are. Spending time with Jesus had rubbed off on them. They identified them as people who'd spend time with Jesus. And I, I wonder, I wonder when people meet me, when people meet you, when people meet us, who they think the influences on our lives are. See, if you're following a car down the road and it's got a JRFM sticker on the back um, and the guy's wearing a Stetson hat and it's a pickup truck and he gets out and he's wearing his plaid shirt and his big belt buckle and he's got his kickers on and his Stetson. It's a pretty safe bet that he's not in, into gangster rap. You can see the influences on the way he dresses. You, you can see the influences in, in the music he listens to and the, and the things he does. My brother is an avid diver. 
And uh, it doesn't take long for you to be in his house to look around and see the stuff that he's pulled up off the ocean floor and to 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 see the diving magazines on the on the table and, and to see all the all the stuff that, that there is around and to hear his conversation and what he's talking about, and the dives he's planning and where he's just dived and all those all those things. It doesn't take long for you to figure out that he loves diving. If you spend any time around me, it doesn't take long for you to figure out that I actually love fishing. Um, I wonder how long it would be for you to spend time around me to find out that I'm passionate and I love Jesus. That he's changed my life. I wonder how long it takes for, for the people that we spend time with and we rub shoulders with to figure out that there's something different about us, not on the good days, but in the middle of a crisis that we face the same crisis as everybody else and we and we say the same consequences as everybody else, but there's something different about the way that we react in it. That we have the same uncertainties, that, that we don't have all the answers. But in the middle of life's crises, that we've been with Jesus. I wonder how long that would take for them to figure out. You see, when, when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to Pilate and they said, we want his body, they changed allegiances. Now, let, let me explain that. You see, Joseph of Arimathea turns up in all four Gospels. All four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's two more Gospels than bother to tell the Christmas story. He, turn up, he turns up in all four. And in the descriptions of who he is in all those four Gospels, when you pull them together, he's a, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a, he's a religious leader. He's a good and upright and righteous man. He's also described as a follower of the teachings of Jesus. In this moment of choice, he changes his allegiance from that of, of following the directives of the chief priests and the leaders of the religious law and places his trust and his allegiance in Jesus. Nicodemus, who Jesus himself describes as the teacher of Israel, doesn't take pride in that title. In fact, now he, he leaves that title behind and, and makes an alliance with the Jesus that he's taking down off the cross. Now, when they do this, I want you, want you to realize what's absent. There's no fanfare here. There's no press conference here. There's no flag waving here. There's no grand statements and declarations. We live in a, in a society of grand statements and declarations. There's, there's no grand statements and de declarations here. There's not even a, a faith confession of the coming resurrection. 
they quietly but openly identify themselves with Jesus. Wow. They quietly, without fanfare, quietly and openly, in the darkest of times, deliberately identify with Jesus in his suffering. I wonder if we would be prepared to do that. I wonder if that's the type of Christian character that is being formed in us as people who who claim to be followers of Jesus. I find this challenging when I read about these guys. I find their courage challenges me. I want to be like this, to quietly and openly follow the teachings of Jesus, to quietly and openly be identified as a follower of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. (laughs) That's where I want to land. I want to land right there. Identify me with him. His death means something to me. His death has radically affected my life. Identify me with him. I'm I'm with him. Bless you. Let's quietly and openly go about being followers of Jesus. Sometimes it's moments of brokenness which create the greatest transformations. Times where fear gives birth to faith, pain leads to healing, and chaos dissolves into peace. It's in these times we often see God more clearly. For in our deepest turmoil, He remains faithful. When our spirit is crushed, He remains strong. When our moment is too heavy, He carries the burden. As gold is refined by fire, we too are often refined by struggle. It's part of growing, changing, becoming. Lately, the journey has been difficult. Our breath has been labored. Our steps, uneasy. But we stand in faith, knowing who is leading us through this desert. The God of peace. The God of hope. The God of restoration.